The, uh, as Pastor mentioned, we wanted to take a few weeks here to uh, really focus in on one area of our Christian walk in dealing with uh, the digital age that we live in. And so this, this whole conference, this whole idea uh, has been born out of a couple things. As I'm talking, gentlemen, if you have notes, uh, there, are, there are notes uh, available if you would like them. If not, and you just want to not, not bother taking notes and just want to listen, that's fine. Except for you teens, you got to take notes. Um, but other than that, you know, beyond that. It really, this whole, this whole idea has been born out of a couple different things. Pastor Tony back in the, uh, this past winter had the opportunity to go out to a church and speak there. Uh, and they did a seminar very similar to this, talking about the security, the safety of our kids uh, and our adolescents in, in the digital and technological, uh, technological world. And thinking about that and talking about the, the idea I wanted to do something, maybe a Sunday school class or something with uh, parents and teens and, and really working through some of these, these uh, concepts and ideas of living in this digital age, Pastor and the staff, we started talking a little bit and said, let's just do, let's do a couple Sunday nights where we look at what does the Bible say about our responsibility uh, to live in this, in this digital age that we live in. You know, and I know maybe, maybe some of you are here tonight, you're thinking, all right, Pastor, give it to the teens and give it to the young adults and just lay into them. And I, I don't think that's fair uh, because we all live in this world, okay? And we all face the same, some of the same difficulties and dilemmas of wading through this technological area of, of our media, of, of the digital content that we, we consume on a, on a daily, a weekly, a minute-by-minute basis. And so as we, as we look at it, we can't just say, Hey, it's, it's for one age group. It's just for those millennials, which is a term that's getting overused and constantly, you know, it's, it's uh, not a great term anymore, but it's, it's out there. But really, it's for moms, it's for dads, it's for grandmas, it's for grandpas, it's for 20-somethings, 30-somethings, midlife for seniors, marrieds, married with kids, single, engaged, dating, etc. The list could go on and on. In other words, it's for us. It's in our technological world. We have to figure out how do we live in it. But let's be honest. It's a strange new Facebook, email, Twitter, blog, Instagram, internet, iPod, iPad world, which we are all part of, which most of us pretty much don't feel completely comfortable in. At least I don't. And I'm really not that old. Okay? And I look and say, it's such a new world to me. And yet I, I struggle with how do I live in this world? How do, I, how do I, as a believer, wade through all of the stuff that is continually bombarding me, bombarding my family? Is it all just bad? Do I throw it all out? Is it all just good? Do I embrace everything? Am I, you know, terms like, am I a technophiliac? I just love all technology. Am I, you know, uh, a technophobe where I just hate all technology and I'm fearful of it? Where do I find myself? That's, some of this has just been, for me personally, is trying to wrestle through. For my kids, how much screen time do I let them have? How much do I allow them to, to wade through different internet sites in, in the, the browsers all on their own? Or, or what, what safeguards and parameters do I put up? How do I protect them for the future? And so as we, as we look at our lives, as we look through here, we have to take a, take a step back because let's be honest, this world's changing. And it's changing very rapidly. In fact, I want you to do something. Just take a few moments and take time to reflect. You can talk to the person next to you. You can laugh about it. You can giggle because some people, you'll look at this and and the change that has happened in your lifetime has been amazing. You know, when we talk about telephones, for some of you, you remember what, you know, the corded phone. The, some of you might remember going out to the street in order to make a, you know, the hand, yeah, there we go, the hand crank phone. 
For, for, some, of the, for some of the teens, for, for our kids, they're like, well, I remember back to iPhone like 2.1, you know, like there's a 4S, isn't it? You know, so, so take a few moments, just, just an opportunity to talk, and I won't talk, talk with each other or write some things down about how we information gather, telephones, televisions, music, listening, go ahead. All right, so I don't know. I don't know if it's just the opportunity to talk in church or the opportunity to talk about technology in church or what, but man, you guys are, you're chatty and that's, that's great. That's good. Now, it's, it's fun, isn't it, to sort of reminisce a little bit? Some of you are probably like, oh, I don't really, but you know, some of you can go back to the Victrola, I don't know, you know, for music listening and all the way now to, to, to iPads. Some of you talk about the mixtapes of the 80s. You know, you could, you could go on and it's fun to talk about, but at the same time, doesn't change scary a little bit? You start thinking about, how do I, how do, I do this? I, I can't figure it out. And we're not, we're not looking to say during this conference, during this, these next couple weeks here, to look and say, well, I'm just going to give you a list of yes on which telephone devices you should use and shouldn't use. We're not going to do that. Our goal is to teach and talk about discernment. We have to be able to figure out how do we work through this concept of change? How do we work through the technological advances that are happening in our culture in our world, and how do we as Christians navigate through that? We have that responsibility. And in fact, in order to do that, I want to I take you to uh, somebody who you probably don't necessarily think about when you think about technology, but Laura Ingalls Wilder. Have you ever thought about her? I know, and some of you are like, wait, what? Because <laughs> you're, you're thinking, wait, Laura Ingalls Wilder, and I'm talking about the author, you know, the, the one who wrote the books. Not, this is how most of you think when you think Laura Ingalls Wilder, you think right to Little House on the Prairie. But she was born in 1867, and she was, when we think pioneer in America, the pioneering spirit, the pioneer woman, this was Laura Ingalls Wilder. Many of you read her books, you, you enjoyed them, you thought about what would it be like to, to be a pioneer, to live back in the day, and to have to go. When, when Laura was born, there weren't, there weren't railroads across the United States. There wasn't the, the information and the, the ability to communicate as quickly as we, as we do now. But have you ever thought about the fact that when Laura dies in 1957, you don't, you don't think about that. She dies the same year that Sputnik is launched. She dies the same year that for the first time the Boeing 707 takes a flight. In one, in one person's life. And you, and you think about that, and we're only six years removed from the, the moment that she's passed away, and how radically different even our world is from, from 1957. The, the change that has taken place in culture is, is continually happening when we talk about this idea. We're, we're in the midst of a new transformation, a digital transformation in our lives. It's been happening over the years, but when I was born in 1977, it was at the height of, you know, the, the very first personal computer, Apple. Apple One is being, you know, being created, being born. And, and from that point, from the, from the moment, the year I was born till now, how radically different even just personal computing is and dealing with, with those dynamics and, and looking at what is happening in our lives. We've come to this point where I just grew up in it. My parents now embrace cell phones. They embrace the technology. They love it. My kids, they don't understand a world without it. And, and neither do most of yours. To, to, to the fundamental concept that, wait, you actually had to stay within proximity to where the telephone actually went into the wall 
And we were super excited when we got like a 25-foot cord that we could get around and shut the door and talk with nobody around us. And, and that, was, that was what we grew up in, and we, we enjoyed that. But we look, and one person, they put it this way, we're a screen-staring, button-clicking, new version of man. We are all now cyborgs. And, and you think about it, we're, we're continually inundated with this whole idea of we're in front of screens, we're facing, we're facing those battles, but what do we do? What questions? It's been said the 21st century man is the person who runs down the street saying, I have all the answers, what are the questions? And when we, when we think about that, that's often the case when we think about our media, when we think about technology. Oh yeah, I know, I know how to handle it, I, I know. But, but what are the questions we ask? What are the things that we face? Like, what is technology? Is technology good or is it bad? Is it inherently one or the other? Which technology should I embrace? Is there some that I should have, some that I shouldn't have? What does the Bible actually teach about this idea of technology and about, about, about uh, media? Does the Bible even mention it at all? Should I even be worried? Is this even relevant enough of a topic to actually take three Sunday nights and, and talk about it? Does God really have an opinion about technology? And I would argue that God has more than just an opinion about technology. God, God wants us to take a, a, a greater understanding. In fact, he says in Colossians chapter 3 that whatever we do, that we are to do it in word or deed into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that whatever I do, whatever technology, whatever social media, whatever uh, screen watching I am doing, whether it's on a TV, an iPad, uh, a tablet, uh, I should say right away, I'm probably just going to default to iPad and iPod and just because it's no, it's, if you're a Google person, please don't get bent out of shape about it. It's just what I have and it just rolls off my tongue. So anyway, that being said, whatever we do, social media, our watching, our listening, it is to be done as if to the name, uh, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That has the idea, first of all, that I am doing it representing Jesus Christ. I need to take any aspect, anything that I am doing in this technological world and be thinking about how does this reflect Jesus Christ? How do my posts, how do my comments, how do my likes, the things I like, the thing, oh yeah, that's great, but it's got curse words across it. Hey, but that's great. How does that represent Jesus Christ? How does it not only represent Jesus Christ, but is it done with his approval? Would Jesus Christ look? Would he say, hey, yep, that's done in my name, and I look and I say, hey, that's, that's great. That goes to my media watching. That goes to my media consumption as I'm listening. That goes to every dynamic of what we're doing in this digital world. We have a biblical responsibility to do whatever. Word, deed, action. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether I eat or drink, whatever I'm doing, I do to the glory of God. So I have this responsibility that says I need to figure it out. And it comes back to this whole concept of truth. You see, Jesus, or God, does not just have an opinion about what we do. He is the, the deliverer of truth. His word is truth. In fact, we see this fleshed out. There's, there's a whole new aspects in our, in our culture today where truth is, truth is being battled for. Do we see it? And we see it fleshed out in the media age even more and more. In fact, do you remember, some of you do, Encyclopedia Britannica. 
Okay, when Encyclopedia Britannica, basically, it was, a, it was you know, 62,000 articles in 32 volumes. When you, if you had Encyclopedia Britannica, you were the smart kid on the block. I mean, you had it there, and you were all, you didn't want World Book, at least I did. I didn't want World Book. I wanted Encyclopedia Britannica because that was the greatest knowledge volume commentary set you could ever, you could ever have. It had 4,000 editors in it, and the editors were considered experts. You want to you learn about the Masters Tournament? It was written by Arnold Palmer. You want to learn about theories? It was, some were written by, by men who were brilliant scientists and, and engineers and technologists, and they were, they were there, and they were written by experts, and you knew when you read it that it was fabulous. Now you fast forward it was, it was something that would, would be said, it's, it's expert sourced. You fast forward to today and you see the total change in Wikipedia. The blog online, it's one of the most hit sites continually every day. And it is what is called a crowdsourced uh, blog. What it is, is everybody contributes and can contribute to it. They continually contribute to this site. So, you know, you, could, you can, and you can Google, you can, uh, on Wikipedia, you can type in God. So if you're going to look theologically, okay, here's God, but everybody from all over the world is giving their input on who God is. And then out of it, the idea is hoping that through all of the different opinions and inputs that are being made, that it is then going to emerge truth. The truth will emerge out of it. Now, granted, Wikipedia has gotten much better with wanting to fact check and wanting to improve and, and do that. It really is a great place for sources. You want to go and you can find out, you can find lots of different places to go and get some information and get ideas. But it really comes back to this concept of truth. And we see this fleshed out even in our society today. How is, how is our digital media, how is it changing us? This is one of the ways where we see individuals look and say, wait, don't, don't give me this idea of an expert telling me, an authority telling me what to do. Let's just, let's all figure it out together. And it might not be right for you, but it's going to be right for me. This whole idea of, of crowdsourced truth. But the, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we have an authority who has divinely revealed himself to us and sharing with us what is, what is right uh, in our culture. In fact, if you, you look in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, for by him all things were created, both in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things, they exist. You, you look and you say, okay, we had two sets of encyclopedias, two vastly different views on authority. And the question is, where does authority lie? Obviously, we're going to argue from the fact that authority lies from the expert. And if I'm going to look at technology and we're going to look at our, our media, then we need to go back and say, okay, what does the ultimate creative being say? Because when we talk about technology, part of it is invention, part of it is innovation. So we look back to the one who is very technical, who is very organized, who is very innovative, who is very creative, that being Jesus Christ. And we know that through him, we can find truth. John chapter 17, sanctify them through truth. Thy word is truth. We know that Jesus Christ is the truth. And so we look and say, okay, this is where truth comes from. What does God's word say then? In this area of media, we cannot look. We, if we blindly turn an eye as believers and just say, I can do whatever when it comes to technology. I can do whatever when it comes to my media consumption because I determine what is truth and our culture determines what is right. 
we're going to find ourselves in a very poor spiritual situation. We must learn to discern. We must learn to understand God's word and understand that he has more than opinion. He has commands. He has principles that he wants us to understand in, re- in light of this concept of media. So does the Bible give us direct commands about, you know, thus saith the Lord, the face- Facebook is of the devil, cell phones are, you know, the spawn of Satan, and apps are an abomination of the Lord? No, you're not going to find it. You, you will, and if you do, please let me know which version of the Bible you're using because it's not in mine. And it's, it's not there. But does the Bible give us direct commands about that? No, and, and yet yes. There are direct commands to the morality that we are to hold to as believers. There are direct principles that we are to learn to apply to every single facet of ministry, uh, of our lives. So as we look and we say, okay, what does God say about our media consumption? What does God say about the media that you're inventing and you're creating on a consistent basis? What, what does God's word say? What are, the, what are the, the struggles that we face with that? What are the blessings of media? And let's be honest, in, in technology, it's great to be able to pick up and, and to call or to Skype somebody across the, the country, across the world. It's wonderful to be able to email our missionaries on a consistent basis. It's wonderful to be able to share some of those, those pictures and, and the different things with other, other people that aren't present at the moment. There are, there are wonderful blessings to technology. But at the same time, if we look and say, well, there's, there's no problems either, and I think most here would, would understand that, we can't turn a blind eye to it. So we have to look and say, okay, there are commands, there are principles of Scripture that must be applied and understood in light of technology because there is a distinctly Christian way to think about and to interact with technology. I, I'm firmly convinced of this, that we cannot just look and say, God doesn't care, or to, to use a great new, new word, man, you know, that's, that's, how God, that's how God feels about it. Man. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not true. God does have a way for us to be thinking about technology. He does expect us to do that. And that, that includes, when we talk technology, and what we'll start defining it here in a second, that includes not just the tools, but the content that we're creating, the content that we're consuming, everything that's happening in our lives on a consistent basis. Is it in line? Does it filter through what God says? Now, if you're like me, that, that almost seems overwhelming at first because there's a lot of commands and principles that I have to think about in regard to something that I love. I love, I'll be, I'll be the first one. Hi, my name is Art, and I love technology. I do. I, I love, I love every, I, any gadget, gizmo, whatever you want to call I, I'll buy, I, I want to buy it just because it's really cool. My wife does, she, she, the, she calls it the whirly curse. No offense, Vicky, wherever you're at. Um, but we, those, Billy Mays was like the worst person in the world for us because every little new gadget that you got to buy this because it'll make your life, yeah, you're right. And I want to buy it. You know, the rotisseries, the, the convection airwave, everything that was going to make cooking better, man, I wanted to buy it. That's just, I love technology. So I need to look and say, wait, just because I love it doesn't mean that I just embrace all of it. I need to look and say, okay, what is it? How do I think about, how do I interact with 
technology. So let's take a moment, let's talk about what, what is technology. And we're, gonna, we're then going to take from technology and we're going to break it down into to our digital technology or digital media. We're just going to build from the top. We're going to lay some foundations tonight. We're going we're gonna to set the groundwork that over the next couple weeks here, we can get very practical and specific dealing with ins and outs. How do, you, how do you deal with this as a family? How do you deal with your communication? How do you deal with interactions? But we need to lay a biblical, biblical f- framework because I'm convinced, just like many of the, many of the uh, epistles do, they lay out the theological aspect saying this is what is important and because you are thinking right, then you need to work on living right. And if we are not thinking correctly about media, technology, and what God says, our practical outworkings will not, will not flesh. So what is technology? Someone said, it's anything after I was born. That sort of plays in. I asked, I've asked some others, some, some who are younger, their, their first comment was, well, it's anything that's electronic. Well, technology is more than just anything that's electronic. And technology has been around before I was born. So as we, as we talk about it, it's sort of like pinning jello to a wall. Everybody's got a different, defini- different definition of technology. Some people have said it is the skill of making things. Others have said it's the study of the skill of making things. Others have said it's the tools that are used to make things. And then others have said it's the things made with the tools. And I look, I'm like, oh, that's so confusing. And as I was typing it, I'm like, man, my English, high school English teacher would have just not been happy with the number of times I used the word things. And they're like, be more specific. Understand what what is happening. You can quickly peruse through the scriptures and you can see technology at work. You can see the, the blessings. You can see that, you know, the ark was a great technological feat. You can look and see that the temple, the tabernacle, the skilled craftsmen were working on those areas. Technology is continually used throughout the Bible. The good, the bad. You know, you have the walls of Jerusalem being built. Some of you are going through Nehemiah with pastor. There's technological aspects that are there. You can look even to the, the negative. The Tower of Babel, a, a big negative when it came to technology, the exaltation of self over God. You can look at the, the cross. It literally, it, that was a technological feat by the Romans, figuring out how we can uh, figure out how to l- extend the pain of an individual going through that. You can look through all those different things. Even like the, the psalmist says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name. Part of what they were trusting in they were trusting in their technology of their chariots more than trusting in the name of the Lord our God. And so there is a dynamic where our hearts begin to be, uh, they're, they're tugged, they're drawn apart, even in those areas of technology. Some have said this, technology, if you're going to look it up in the definition, technology is what, uh, that which is created to make life easier and to solve problems. I think it's a pretty, pretty straightforward definition. It's anything that's created. So a pen is technology. It was technology back. It was created. It, was, it helped us to, to do that. Your scissors that you carry around, your nail clippers, they're, they're all a form of technology. Uh, John Dyer in his, in his book, Garden to the City, uh, which I, I highly recommend. There'll be another one here in a moment. Some good books we'll, we will recommend throughout, and we'll, we'll get that out shortly uh, during the conference, during, during this time here. It says this, tech is the reordering of raw materials for human purposes. So we're taking what God has given to us in this world, he created the world. Have you ever thought about that? God created the world with everything that we ever needed to make all the cell phones. God created the world with all of the, the, the minerals and the, the things that are necessary to make your computers, the silver that's necessary. He knew, he knew all those things. And he provided that here on earth. Uh, 
Tony Rinke in his book, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Really good book. Uh, another one that we recommend. Uh, the human, it's the human activity of using tools to transform God's creation for practical purposes. So when we talk about technology, it's not just electronics, though we're going to, we're going to bring it down into the digital world. But it's looking and saying, okay, the, the tools that are used to transform God's creation— when we, use, when we use technology, when we use digital technology, are we being transformed? The answer is yes. We're learning. We're, you know, when you, when you pull out your, your tablet and you're reading through, you're learning. Part of you is being transformed. It's, it's there. God has created these things, and they're, they're using them, and now we as humans use them for, for practical purposes. So we look, at, we look at technology. Is God really a technological God? And I would argue that if you go back to the beginning of technology, you will see that God had a plan for technology. God is a technological God. And God even desires for us to understand technology and to use technology in, in our lives. Genesis chapter 1, all the way back to the beginning. You get in verse 26 through 28, you get the the beginning of mankind. God says, here's the divine plan. Let us make man. He says, God didn't mess this up. He said, we're going to make man. Now, not only is that the plan, but here's the pattern. We're going to make God, we're going to make man in our image. So remember back to Colossians that God is the creator of all things. He is the one who understands how things work. He he understands those, those dynamics. That's who we're made in that image. So to look and say, well, I just hate technology and technology shit. You might not like technology, but to throw it out and say we should never be involved with technology or involved with media. Wait, God has placed that inside of man that we are made in his image and that there is a divine purpose. Let us make man in our image. What does he say in the passage? He goes on, he goes on in the passage. If you look down in verses uh, 27, 26, he says a little bit uh, that they're to have rule over the, the fish of the sea, to have dominion and to subdue. The word subdue means to bring under control, to use for our benefit. So what, is, what does he say? God looks and says, I've made you in my image. I have given you the opportunity to have dominion, to rule over this earth, not just the animals, but it says the, the earth as well. It's not directly just saying we just have rule over the animals. We are to subdue. We are to use the earth for our benefit, to bring it under control, to have it, and to use those opportunities. That is what happens with technology, that people are using tools, they're using aspects of this, of this world in order to uh, subdue it, to, to have control over it. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, and the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it, to cultivate it, to till it. That, that requires invention and innovation. He had to, at some point, though we don't look at a shovel or we don't look at a hoe necessarily as something that is great technology, at some point, that was breakthrough technology. When all of a sudden Adam starts, you know, grading the ground and plowing, when the plow comes along, those were, that was innovation, that was invention. Now, that, that has now, invention are those things that we create, the innovation is using those things for different purposes, but that happened all the way back in Genesis, that God is a technological God, created Adam, and he says, hey, I want you to subdue, I want you to use the tools, use this earth for your benefit that you get to that point. That's a, that book, The Garden to the City. 
If you thought about the fact that we start humanity in a garden, where do we end up? In a city. We don't, we don't just stay out of it, but there's a wonderful, blessed city that, that has moved through, even through the pages of Scripture. But we have to remember this. In Genesis chapter 3, we're familiar, familiar with the concept of the curse and that the curse is placed. But the curse is not just upon us and it's not just upon the serpent, but it is upon this entire world that we live in, including our inventions, including the innovations of mankind. Hebrews chapter 2 says, you have put all things uh, in subjection under his feet. It's not talking about Christ, but it's talking about humanity there. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not see yet all things subjected to him. The, the writer is looking and saying that though we had the ability in the Garden of Eden at the beginning to, to subject and to have dominion over the entire earth, it has been corrupted. We do not yet still see to this day, we do not see us having full dominion, full subjection of this world. There is a corruption that has taken place. So as we look at technology, is it good? Is it bad? Is it, is it something that God has, has designed? Is it something that God says is good? I would say yes, but we have to remember in a perfect world, everything we create would be used in a perfect and God-honoring way. Nuclear fission, it's great, but can it be used for something very destructive? Absolutely. You, you look at your phone. In a perfect world, your phones would always be used for perfect God-honoring uh, concepts and ideas. It would never be used to check for email for the 40th time or to check Facebook for however many times or on your Instagram and you're ignoring all the other people in the room or you don't, you don't talk to the kids that night. It would never be used that way. It would always be used in a God-honoring way. You know, the, the printing press, technology, it would always be in a perfect world. It would always be used in the perfect way. But we know that it has been used in, a very, in many ways to dishonor, dishonor God. Because we live in a corrupt, in a fallen, a curse-filled world. So we need to, we need to be remembering this. Technology is good. And it's a God-given gift. We are created in God's image to use, to give, to take what he has created in us and to use it for his glory. But technology is subject to the curse. So to just warmly embrace everything would be foolhardy. To just look and say, well, it's, it's technology. It's neither good nor bad. It's just there. And I'm not going to take, take the time to do it. We must learn. We must learn. Doesn't matter our age. Doesn't matter our marriage status. Doesn't matter anything, gender, anything. We as believers must use, learn to use technology. And we must learn to use it well. But we need to be weary. We must look and say, wait, what is this going to do? Asking those questions. How is this going to impact me? Is this going to control my life? Is this going to have, uh, be in, in such a way that it hurts my family. It hurts the relationships around me. Or do I just look and say, hey, no problem. I'm just going to do it. And it's, it's wonderful. Because tech can be used to help us either honor God or to compound our rebellion against God. And that's where we want to be getting over the next couple, couple weeks here. As looking at some practical areas as we were brainstorming as staff and saying, some of us looking and saying, How does, what are the sins what are the vices? What are the battles that we see coming up because of technology? 
because of our media consumption. What are ways that, that it's been a blessing, that, that we've seen growth in that? But when we look at this, it, it, requires, it requires us to be thinking. It requires us to, to, to think in such a way. In fact, um, does it compound or does it, does it cause rebellion? The, some of the teens know this is like my least favorite app in the world. It, it just, that's me, um, one of them. But did you, did you hear the, uh, the story this week of uh, the p- police officer out in Pennsylvania, McKeesport? Uh, she Snapchatted. Snapchat a racial slur. Now, the whole concept of Snapchat is that, you know, eventually it's going to go away and nobody, nobody catches that. And so it, what it does is it, it showed her heart. Even just in this quick little snap of a, you know, a picture, a little, a little phrase on the bottom, made a slur. She got to the point, she got fired over it. But Snapchat, you're not supposed to be able to. What happened was people record Snapchats. You know, you take a screenshot and then they keep it. So, you, you know, even the teens, you think, oh, there's no problem with doing this. And yet at the same time, is there the potential that somebody could be recording what you're saying? Somebody could be doing that. Now, that brings up a whole nother aspect because in, in Pennsylvania, the, the responsibility of recording, you have to let people know whether it's on, you know, a device. You can't just illegally just, you know, or you can't just go and record people. You have to actually, they have to know. So I can't just look and go, hey, I'm going to go record Sharon while she's, she's doing something. She has to be aware that I'm doing that. So that's part of what's going to come out with this. But she did. She lost, she lost her job because of one quick moment where it showed a heart and a, something that was uh, dishonoring to God and dishonoring to the people that she talked about. It's something that happens so quickly, and we have to constantly be asking ourselves, is this honoring God? Is what I'm about to say, does it honor God? What I'm about to text, does it honor God? Or is this device, maybe it's drawing me further away from God? That's a hard question to ask, because I don't want to even think about the possibility of giving up a device. I mean, I, I didn't have my phone for a couple hours today, and I felt like, I'm like, where's my, I need my phone, I need my phone. And I know I'm not the only one. Where you walk out, it used to be, hey, where's, you got the keys in your wallet. Yeah, now it's I got the keys, wallet, and phone. Because if I don't have the phone, I feel like I'm completely disconnected to the world. We, we can't also, I don't, anybody ever hear the Luddites? The, the Luddites are individuals back in the Industrial Revolution. They, uh, they looked, they were, they were weavers, and they were, uh, uh, they, they sewed, whatever, seamstress, seams, seamster, I don't, anyway. You got the idea. They did not like the fact that during the Industrial Revolution, all this new technology was coming in. They didn't like the fact that we might be out of a job because of these machines, because of these uh, weaving machines that are going to, they're going to do it. So what they would do is they said, we hate all technology, basically. They would go in and they would destroy technology in the, in the evenings. Eventually, and they were caught, they were found out, but all too often we can just look and say, okay, I hate technology, going to get rid of it. Or we take the other end and say, I just love technology and I'm just going to embrace it all. We must learn to, to biblically discern. But if you're like me, and some of, you, some of you maybe are, do you ever feel like you're in the middle of a storm that's just swirling all around? There's so much coming. There's a story called The Descent into the Maelstrom. Edgar Allan Poe talks about it. And he talks about in this story, the story goes on that there, there were these three brothers who were sailors. And as they were sailors, they, they wanted to continually go out and bring in, bring in a good haul of fish. 
And they knew that there was good fishing on the other side of this maelstrom, this big, this big whirlpool that, that was there. So they continually navigated around and around, and they, they learned how they could, they could get around it. But one day, while they were anchored, they couldn't get around because of a storm. A hurricane blew them into the maelstrom. As they're in the maelstrom, they're, they're looking around, and they understand that this is, this is it. Life, it's all swirling around them. Everything's coming at them in different directions. And so the one brother says, I'm going to just, he ties himself to the mast because he says, this is the most secure thing. I'm not going to move. It won't move me. The mast snaps. It's, it launches him in the maelstrom and he, he dies. The other, the other brother looks and says, nope, I'm with the ship. I can control it. I can figure out how to get this out. And he's continually fighting against it, saying, we just got to keep fighting. We got to keep fighting. And eventually we know what happens is the boat is eventually sucked down into, into the whirlpool. The third brother is the only brother who actually got out. What the, the story goes on to say that as he's on this boat, he's looking around and he's noticing in the midst of everything, he starts to discern and starts to understand that certain, certain items are being taken out of the maelstrom. They're, they're being lifted up, the lighter items, different items that had a, a greater like wind ability. They, he just, he noticed that they were going up. And so as he started to look, he noticed that these items were going and he latched himself onto one of the barrels that was continually, the barrels were being taken up. And he, he looked and he discerned what was happening in the midst of this storm. And it was able to, to launch him out of the maelstrom, the only one to survive because he was willing to look, to discern all that was happening and make adjustments and changes to what, what he was used to doing. It, did, it made no sense to him at that moment to, to latch onto a barrel rather than the ship. But he was willing to discern, willing to look. And that's what we need to be doing in this culture. We need to look at all of the media, all of the technology that is continually coming toward us and understand patterns, understand thoughts, understand what is going on. Saying, how do I discern? What do I hold on to? What do I allow to go to the to the side. And so we need to, we need to learn to be discerning. And when we talk about discernment, we need to look and say, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to be discerning? If we're going to talk about digital discernment, technological discernment, what, we're looking at the digital world, the digital technology, how can I be uh, discerning as we go through? First Kings chapter 3, you have Solomon who, David is, David is now passed, Solomon is now in charge, and, and the Lord looks, you're familiar with it, the Lord looks to Solomon and says, your, your father David has been great. What would you like? And down in verse 7, he's like, I, I don't know how to come in or go out. Even though he's you know, 30 plus years old at this point, he's looking and saying, I don't have the ability, I don't have the discernment to be able to figure out how to govern the people. God, I need your discernment. And in the midst of the people whom you've chosen, a great multitude, what am I going to do? He says, therefore, give your servant an understanding mind, a heart that understands you that I can govern your people, the idea of govern your people well, that I may be able to discern between good and evil. So Solomon looks and says, Lord, help me to have this understanding. And in fact, if you go down verse, verse 10 through 12, Solomon even, uh, God looks and says, I, I appreciate that and I'm going to value those people who seek for discernment. He gives it to him and he gives him even more than what he simply asks for. Solomon in his wisdom says, I need the ability to figure out good from evil. When we talk about our media, we need to figure out the difference between good and evil. What is good? What is evil? What is a good use of this, this device? What is a poor use? Should I be using it? Having that discernment. In fact, in uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 to 14, the, the, the writer says, 
About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practices to distinguish good from evil. One, one author wrote it this way. I'll read it. It said, uh, it was John Piper. He said, in their drifting and neglect and carelessness, their spiritual ears had become dull. The Bible became uninteresting. Their desires for the teaching and the preaching of God's word was fading. The energy to think and to ask questions about the most important questions in this world was seeping away. And in its place was a kind of spiritual sluggishness and insensitivity. Things of the world were becoming more exciting and attractive than the word of God and the greatness of his salvation. And as I read that and I think about this passage, is that where we find ourselves when we start talking about this concept of media and technology? I don't, I don't really want to... I don't want to, it takes too much work, Pastor Art. Takes, there's a lot of questions to think through, to, to have to wrestle through, how, not just for me, but for my family. Not just for me, but the other people in our community, in our church. How do my responses, how do my, my posts, how do my, my, my tweets, how do, they, how do they impact other people? That's a lot to start taking in. But are we dull of hearing? Do we start looking and saying, I don't need to apply the Bible See, yeah, the Bible's not going to give us a thus saith the Lord, Facebook, no Facebook. But the Bible is going to give us the, the principles, the truths, that I don't become dull of hearing, but rather I look and I listen to it and say, wait, how does this apply to my media consumption? How does this apply to my technological uses? And he says, we ought to be. And we as, as a body of believers, we ought to be at this point in our lives where we're looking and saying, we can handle the truths of God and we can apply it to the media. In fact, in, in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. In first, uh, 2 Timothy, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit that's entrusted to you. Do we, when we talk about our lives and our technology, in our media, in, our, in your social media, in your texts, do you avoid a reverend babble? Okay, let's get, let's, get, let's get practical this week. How many of us spent too much time trying to figure out whether or not an NFL player should take a knee or not? Because we had to read and then we had to post and we had to give our two cents worth and then we got into conversations and it really, you know what? Just stop watching the football. It's easier that way. But anyway, it's, it's, it's not worth it. We get into these conversations. We get into stuff that's falsely called knowledge. We start reading. We start listening. And, and you're looking at like, why am I getting sucked into this? Am I the only one who gets sucked into those things? You know, and it's just continually happening. I am to guard the deposit, the, the gospel as it's been entrusted to me. For me to just start bantering, and, and I'm in a different position. If I am my, my Facebook or my Instagram feed, if I start putting out stuff that is irreverent, if I start putting out stuff that is just looking like stupid stupidity, 
I'm in a position where people are going to call me on it and there's going to be a whole different, different aspect. But I don't, Timothy is, it's for all of us. We are to guard our testimony. We'll talk about that. How do we guard our testimony in the digital age? How do you guard what is happening with the gospel? Do you look at just, yeah, it's just the gospel. And I know we wouldn't say that. But the gospel is more than just, okay, I can, I can quote the ABCs, you know, admit you're a sinner, believe Jesus Christ died on the cross, and confess your sins. How is the gospel fleshed out in what we're doing? Do we guard that? Do we hold it high? In fact, uh, in Romans chapter 12, pastor's been going through this. Abhor what is evil, hold fast that which is good. Take that, let that just sink in for a second. He does not say, abhor the evil, and hold fast the good uh, just when you sort of want to. That is a direct command. Now take that application to your technological device. As you look at it, my phone, when I'm looking at whatever I'm looking on, on, on the phone, am I abhorring what is evil or am I seeking after it? Am I holding fast to that which is good and when something that's not good comes across my phone? And, I'm, and, and, you know, our minds instantly, and I understand, it goes to, like, pornography. But what about when the gossip comes across? What about when the slander comes across through a text? What do, what do we do? Do we get involved in it, or do we abhor that which is evil? Because, as, as Pastor mentioned already, we have a responsibility to be looking at our technology and to understand that we need to proceed by faith. If, we, if not, if we're not convinced of it, it's sin, which means I have a responsibility. You have a responsibility that rather than just quickly jumping in all the latest and greatest technology, which, you know, right now the biggest deterrent to the new iPhone is the fact that I'm not paying $1,000 for an iPhone. It's not going to happen, okay? But beyond that, do I just embrace it or do I look and say, wait, am I convinced that this is something I truly need? Is this good stewardship of my money? Is it something that is important and, and by faith, you know, I am convinced before God that this is something that I should be doing. I am convinced by God that this is a movie that I should take my family to go see. I am convinced by God that this, this site is okay for me to view. I am convinced that by God that this is right for my family. I have to, I have to wrestle through that. And that is work. But I have to look and say, if it's not by faith, it's sin. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20, 21 uh, 22, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Again, if you look at all these passages, there's a continual theme that's running through. That God is, as the author of, of the word of God, giving us his expert advice, says that there is good, there is evil. There is that which is bad, and that which is, is, is beneficial. He looks and says there are, that, there, there are both of those areas, and we have a responsibility to figure that out, to wrestle through it, to look and say, wait, how do I know? How do I test this? How do I know that whatever the media consumption I'm doing, how do I know that the music I'm listening to is truly God-honoring, that it is good before the Lord? Or do I just mindlessly listen to everything but if I'm not doing it by faith, if I'm not convinced by God that this is right for me to be listening to, then it is sin. 
we have that responsibility before the Lord to be discerning believers. Discernment is this, if you take it, it's the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error, right from wrong. You and I, as believers, we have that responsibility, especially in regard to technology, in regard to our digital media. It's not, it's not just simply, I look and say, well, it's, that's for just relationships, or that's just for, uh, you know, our, our workplace. No, this is for our life, that we are to take God's principles, and we need to do it. We need to take God's principles and apply them directly to, to our media. How do we do that? We look and say, okay, the source for this discernment, it's the word of God. Thy word is truth. It is the authority. It is given to us. It is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that you may be perfect, thoroughly furnished. You may be mature unto all good works. The Bible is our source. The power is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us to go forward, to be able to do it. And let's be honest, with the process, we have to use our heart and our head. It's not, just, it's not just looking and saying, well, okay, it's just there. No, I have to be convinced in my heart. I need to, to trust the Holy Spirit, the, the emotions, the conscience, the, all those aspects of me. But I need to use my brain too. I need to be logical about what I'm doing, the choices I'm making. If you're looking and you're, you're watching something, it, have you ever been there? You're watching something, you'll love it. And it's, it's really great. And by the time you get to like episode three or four, you're, you're, loving, the, you're loving the show and then those things start creeping in. And you're like, why do they got to show that? Why do they got to? And your heart starts gnawing at you, but your head hasn't got there yet, but you know it, and you know it. You, you got to follow that process and look and say, hey, this isn't right. If it's wrong, I'm not going to just take a little bit of it, but I need to work at abhorring that which is evil. In fact, go with me to Revelation chapter three. Let's look practically at a, a group of people a group of people who very, very similar to our day and age. The Laodiceans. Now, when, when we read about, when we talk about the Laodiceans, as we look at what is happening, the, the Laodiceans were individuals who, they were very self-sufficient. They were very secure in what they had. In fact, if you, if you look through the history of Laodicea, what they had, they were known for their hot springs and their cold springs. They were both very beneficial. They had learned and figured out how to use them for great medicinal purposes. People would come, the, the doctors in the area would know what to have you do. They, they learned to use those springs very well. They were also known for their textile industry. In fact, it made Laodicea a very profitable, very, uh, a very wealthy city. And because they become a very wealthy city because of the textile and because of their medicine area, uh, in fact, they even became, they, they were known for eye drops and eye salve that would be mixed together. And they had created to heal uh, eye diseases. They became a very wealthy city. In fact, they became, for the area of, of Colossae, in that area, they were a banking industry for the Roman Empire. So you have this city that's, that's well-to-do. They were very, very wise. They were very smart. And all these, all these things are happening. And you look at what happens at the church of, of Laodicea. And I guess I will get there um, in chapter 3. You have, you, have this church, you have this church that's here. 
And look, look at what they say. The church says this. They say, hey, we're, we're rich. We're, we're well-to-do. So the angel of the church to Laodicea, he writes, the amen, the faithful, the witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. I wish that you were one of those. But because you're lukewarm, you're not good for anything. You're unprofitable. Uh, you're neither hot or cold. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. That's the faithful, true witness of Jesus Christ saying, this is where you're at. Because, and now he's going he's to explain, because you say, I am rich. Because you say, I'm wealthy. Because you have need of nothing. They're completely sufficient upon themselves. And you do not know what you are, you wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So, so you have a, a contrast. You have this individual, they're a group of believers. This is the church of Laodicea. They are there. Now, doesn't mean they're all believers, but they're, as they're there, they have this confidence that they're rich. They're satisfied. They, they, they're not sufficient upon Christ. They have, it, they have figured out their own security. And they don't, they don't run to Christ, but rather they run to themselves. They run to their wealth. They run to what they have. They have come, become completely self-sufficient in life. They've become secure in themselves. And yet Christ looks and says, you are blind, you're naked. And, and think about that in light of what they had in their, their, they had the wool industry. But yet he says, you're naked. You're blind, but they had this great eye ministry, you know, the, the eye medicines. He looks and says, you're miserable, you're poor, even though they had the banking industries. He, he goes, he uses all the things that they think they have their confidence in. And he says, you're poor. Everything about Laodicea, they were sufficient and they were secure because of the technological advances that they had in their society. They felt as if they had arrived. They did not need God, especially in their everyday life. They just, they had God at church, but they did not take God into every moment. What they did was they began to place confidence in the wrong place. They placed it in their riches. They placed it in their, their, their items. They, uh, they looked, they felt insecure. Uh, they felt secure. But as we, as we think about that, where do we place our confidence? Think about it in regard to, to our social media. Now, some of, you may, some of you here may look and go, I don't have anything to do with social media. I will never have anything to do with social media. Um, and that's, that's your choice. Many of us do. But where do we put our confidence? It's interesting as you start looking. Time Magazine, Forbes, Huffington Post, all of them have, have recently written uh, this, year, this year talking about some of the social media aspects. Uh, talking about that we find our security in the likes and the, the, the acceptance of other people through our pictures, through our posts. If we post something we want people, and if they don't like it, we're, we're distraught. We're, we're struggling. We become depressed. We have, we have anxiety. There are all these different articles talk about it. In fact, uh, Forbes, Forbes uh, magazine, they, they, have, they call it Instagram is the worst app to cause depression. And they, they've done a whole study on the whole aspect of it. And we'll cite some of those other things. I don't want to get into all, the, all of these aspects tonight, but we'll, we'll talk about some of those things. Where these, these are not, not biblical authors here by any stretch of the imagination, but they're looking and saying, because people are putting their security in people's likes and their comments 
that they're finding themselves becoming very insecure. They're finding themselves becoming very depressed. In fact, uh, the, the, one, the, one, the one argument, or one uh, article, excuse me, talks about that Instagram easily makes girls and women feel as if their bodies aren't good enough for people, so they add filters, edit their pictures in order for them to look perfect. It's true. It happens. I mean, we see it, we see it even on our trips sometimes when we, we go to take pictures. Everybody's like, wait, 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 I got to, you know, and they've got to get the perfect pose. And it's, you know, I, I chuckle and give them a hard time about it, but we're, we're in that, that society where we're so focused on finding our security in what people like that it changes who we are rather than finding our security in God, knowing that you are fearfully and wonderfully made knowing that he has designed you and placed and made you the way you are. So rather than having to Photoshop my body and who I am, I need to be content. I need to be satisfied with the way that, that God, has, God has made me. Uh, they talk about, they talk about the, um, some of you may not, how many of you know what FOMO is? Anybody? F-O-M-O. Okay, some of you do. The fear of missing out. It's actually a new, a new term that's been co- coined that, there is a continual fear of missing out on life. So I feel like I have to continually update. I have to f- continually respond. And if I don't respond, I might miss out on something. And that is becoming something that is driving depression, to driving anxiety in, in our youth and even as adults. I mean, I found a couple weeks ago, I, I painted, a, painted a, a dresser for Sharon. And, I, and I, was, I was happy with it. I liked it. And I sent a picture to uh, the place we got the paint from. And uh, they were like, oh, this is great. Can we post it on our site? I said, sure, no problem. So they posted on the site. And it got tagged back on Facebook. And it was in my feed. And all these people started liking it. I was feeling really good. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, why aren't any of the people I know liking this? What's the matter with you people? Come on. And it it caused me for, for a few moments here. I, I literally was like, I was anxious. I was frustrated. I'm like, you people love me, right? Come on, show me my likes. And I had to take a step back and say, wait, 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 wait. Why did I do this? I did it for her. I did it that, that she wanted it. And I, and I should be happy that if I get one like in the whole thing, that she liked it and that's good enough for me. <laughs> She's gonna smack me later. Okay. But we find ourselves anxious because we're looking for security in what people say rather than our security being in Christ. Our security being in things, our devices. I feel good because I've got my phone with me. If I don't, I don't feel secure. So I look, they they go on, he says, they've placed satisfaction in something other than Christ. They, they've got to the point where they're, they're trusting in their wealth, they're trusting in their technology, they're trusting in their innovation for, for the, the medicines. They were all doing this. We like our likes. Our kids have been born into the screen-dominated age, and they want to mold ourselves themselves into it so that they can get the most social validation. And we need to be wise to that as parents, that we are the ones validating our kids that we are reminding them of their value in Christ as an image bearer of God, that that is where value is, not in how many likes or dislikes you get, not in how many comments you get on a picture that you, you do or you, you, you place. And then he, the, the last one, he says, they've placed priorities in something above God. They put their priorities 
on the wealth, on their industry, on their items that they had. They were looking and saying, this was more important. And God looks and says, I mean, he, the condemnation is that you have need of nothing. You're, you're, you've, you've placed your confidence in every single other thing implied as you've left me out. And do we in our lives, do we leave God out? Has something crept in potentially that is pushing God aside? I, I'm, I'm not going to look and say technology has pushed God out and is, is replaced in your life. But are you willing to take the hard look and say, wait, is there some technology that's pushing God out? Are there devices that I'm using and it's, it's causing me to dishonor God? It's pushing me away from, from him. What kind of impact did that have on their lives? Having a sufficiency and a security in themselves and things and having a misplaced priority. Look, look, look what it says. He says, behold, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. Now, often we use this just as a salvation verse. But in the context here, it's, it's dealing with fellowship. That the fellowship, Jesus is looking and saying, hey, I want back in. I've been pushed out. Christ had been practically removed from their life, from their fellowship. Even though they're meeting as a church, practically Christ was banging on the door and saying, hey, let me back in. Let me, let me into your life. Their self-sufficiency, their security in their world, their knowledge, their wealth had caused a problem with their fellowship with Jesus Christ. Let's just look at it. Take that and apply it. Are there technological things in our lives? Are there, is there digital media? Is there social media? Is there texting? Is there YouTubing and all the videos that we're continually watching? Is it getting to the point where it is hindering our fellowship with Christ, that Christ is here? Hey, can, can you let me back in? Can, can I have part in your life, in your everyday life? Not just when you sit in church at Pew, or sit in a Pew at church. Will you, will you let me in? What is Christ's counsel? He looks at him and he says, you be zealous. He says to him, I advise you to buy for me gold refined. Um, he goes on verse 19. Those whom I love, notice he still loves them. He says, I reprove and I discipline. Therefore, you be zealous, be eager, be earnest, be genuine about this. And look and say, wait, do I need to repent? Not just repent of, of my sin, but look and say, wait, do I need to change the direction I'm going? We've been, we've been working through this as a, as a family. Looking and saying, wait, do we need to change the amount of screen time that we're allowing our kids? Do we need to change the direction of what we're doing for family time? You know, we've, we've made a choice, and this, I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord, you have to do it. We do a tech-free Friday now, like Friday after school all the way through the evening. There's no technology. There's no screens. If you're going to call me, you better have 911 on there because I'm not picking up my phone. We're, we're unplugging as a family, and that's what we do. So we have family time together so that we can do that. That's just, that's just a practical choice we're choosing to do. But what do we need to do to maybe change the direction because Christ is getting pushed out or responsibilities that I have are being, uh, are being pushed aside so I have to look and say, wait, is technology doing this? Is media doing this in my life and to me? So Christ says, hey, we have a full, uh, we are to have a full theological and Christological approach to life. That, that sounds like a whole bunch. Basically this. He looks at them and says, our lives are to be centered around God and Jesus Christ. He is to be at the nucleus of everything that we do. 
But all too often, I find that Christ becomes a tangent. He, he's out here. And the center of my life is me. Or the center of my life becomes my TV show. And it impacts what I'm doing. It causes me to lose sleep. It causes anxiety. What's at the center? We are to have Christ at the center of our life. God is to be at the center. That includes in this little slice, though it's a big slice in our lives, in, in our culture today, in this area of technology, in the area of media consumption, Christ is to have the center. We are to be doing all to the name of the glory of God. We are to have Christ-centered living. That's what, that's what we're called to. In fact, what I'd like to do, gentlemen, some of the ushers, there's those yellow sheets. If you want to hand those out, let's talk for just a few moments here. We're going to wrap up. But practically, they're, they're handing out uh, a little thing. Have you ever, how, how do we know if we are pushing Christ out or if something is consuming us? Over the last few years, I've been through this whole wonderful world of trying to lose weight, trying to gain weight, trying to lose weight. Try, one of the things that I do when I'm really focused and when I'm, when I'm shedding pounds, so to speak, one of the things I do is that I strictly watch what is happening and what is going into my mouth. I very closely watch the amount of sugar that is coming into my body. That's just something I do. And I, and I know when, I, when I'm doing it, I mean, Sharon, Sharon can testify. I know every day how many ounces of water I exactly drink. I know how many grams of sugar are, are going into I know that. Because I understand the importance for me of what, what I'm doing. And I started thinking about what about in regard to our media consumption? I'd like to challenge you for one, one week. One week. Just, just one. Track. Track your media consumption. Now, you're going to look and say, well, wait a second, that's a whole lot. Pick, pick one device or pick an app that you use. Maybe it's one that you're, you're always on Instagram or you're always on Twitter. Maybe, maybe you look and say, the amount of YouTube time I spend. You know, pick one and start to just write it down. Or you can, there, there are some other, there are some apps. If you want an app on your phone to track how often you use an app, uh, you, can, you can do that. I, I have, on my phone, I have Moment. I'm liking it. It's new. I'm still getting, uh, it's there. Uh, there's Disney Circle. There's Phone Sheriff. There's Net Nanny. There's a whole bunch of these. They will track how much time you're actually consuming in the digital world. But if we're not willing to take the hard look, will we ever really be willing to change? Will we ever be willing to, will we ever know? Uh, yesterday, and, and this is my bad as a parenting, and some of you will be wholeheartedly appalled, but I'll admit it. I, I looked at Zach, it was toward the end of the day, and he said, hey, Dad, can I watch something on, my, uh, on the TV? And I said, no. He's like, why? I said, well, you've had enough time in front of the screens today. And he looks and he says, but it's not been too bad. I said, okay, Zach, let's, let's talk about it. How long have you been on? He's like, probably two hours. I said, okay, what time did you get up? Seven. What time did we uh, stop to go do something we were doing? He's like, I don't know. What time? I said, two o'clock. I said, what did you do that whole time? Watch TV. Uh-huh. And when we came back, did you watch some more? Yeah. It ended up being like nine and a half hours. I know. I'm the worst parent in the world. I got it. Okay. But then, he, then it clicked with him. He's like, okay, I, I guess I've had a little too much screen time today. Yes, you have. 
And that's, that's, that's why. But we tend to, we tend to underestimate our media consumption. We don't tend to overestimate. I mean, let, let's be honest. If, you, if I were to ask you, how much, how much do you think a day, how many times a day do you think you pick up your phone? What do you, what do you think the, the average, the number is of how many? I, I forgot it now. What is it? Every 4.3 minutes, we pick up our phone and check it, unlock it. I wouldn't think that. That's just a natural, and some of you, maybe not. But take, take time. But one of the things that I, I was really, really challenged with this week is what about thinking for this week? Thinking about the Ten Commandments. If we're talking about our relationship with God and technology, looking at the Ten Commandments and saying, wait, let's use this as our filter. We want to know what does God think? How do we apply it? You know, you shall have no other tech before me. Okay, so for me this week, I'm not getting on technology until I have time with God. That's, that's going to be my personal application. That this is first, not, not updating my Facebook feed. It's my time with God. That is, I'm going to have no other tech before me, I'm, before God. I'm not going to allow tech to become an idol of my heart. It will serve me. I will not serve it. I'm going, we'll talk about that in, in, a, in a weeks here to come. Uh, you, shall take, uh, you shall not use your tech to take God's name flippantly, trivial, or in vain. I'm not going to like something that has God's name in vain. I'm not going to use uh, acronyms to, to talk about God's name in vain. I'm going to look and say, wait, I'm not going to use God's name flippantly. I'm going to take a break from my tep- tech. I'm going to remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. We don't, we don't practice the Sabbath day, but taking the principle, I'm going to take some rest from my technology. I will, teens, honor my mother, mother and father with my technology. Maybe end their demands. I will honor them with it. I will not kill with my technology. Sometimes I'd like to kill my technology, but I will do that. I will not use my tech to bully, to verbally hurt, to slander somebody. I will not, you know, I will uh, use my tech. I will not use my tech to commit adultery. You shall not use your tech to watch or observe things which would cause sinful, lustful thoughts that would cause a wandering eye or a wandering heart. I will not use my tech to steal. I'm not going to use it to plagiarize, to steal songs that don't belong to me. I'm not going to use it to, to download videos that aren't mine to rightfully download. I'm not going to take that which legally does not belong to me on my phone. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to, I'm not going to when we talk about lie, I'm not going to lie about myself. When I post something, I'm not going to over-exaggerate where I'm at or how great I am. I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to lie about other people. I'm not going to tear them down. I'm not going to use my tech to covet. I'm not going to simply surf for the sake of surfing in order to find what I don't need, but I'm going to buy it then. I'm not going to, you know, when I, when I look at the Amazon purchase and I get ready to make it and they say, hey, would you like to add on this for $34.99? Oh, I need that. And I covet. I'm not going to do it. Try and use that as a filter this week. To look and say, wait, my immediate, whether it's a TV show I watch, whether it's the series I'm binge watching, whether it's the social media app that I'm going to use, use the Ten Commandments. Just a very simple filter. And see how that might change. Might cause us to think about what God would have us to do in our media consumption. Now in the next couple of weeks here, we'll start talking about us and others. And do we, how do we, how do we interact 
with each other on social media? How do we connect? Is there real connection? How does it impact the church? How does it impact us when we start getting into conversations with the gospel? How do we use our social media for blessings? How do we avoid some of the, the, the downfalls? How do we deal with our addictions to it? Are we addicted to it? Looking at all of those and then looking at our Thursday nights coming up and looking and saying, here's some really practical specifics. Security in our homes. Security, our digital footprint. Looking and saying, how do we keep things safe? How do we keep our kids safe? How do we know that, that things are set up correctly? So that some, some uh, the one, one book Pastor Tony's reading, The Boogeyman's out, is it? The Boogeyman is... Yeah, the boogeyman exists and he's in your child's back pocket. Great title. Book I want to read because I keep hearing things he's talking about. I'm like, man, I need to read that. All of those, those things. And yet, we hand it to him. Things we need to think about. Things we need to be practical about. So I pray that that will be the case. So we will look this week, just start with us and God. And then we're going to get practical with us and others and us and ourselves. So Lord, I pray that you would help us this week to be discerning. Help us to look at our media, our digital content, all the technology that we love, that we are scared about. Lord, that we just want to know how to use it for your glory. God, help us to do that. Help us to be digitally discerning, to use technology, to use it well, but to use it to your honor that it might be all done in your glory, for your glory. For it's in your name we do pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You're just-